0: I'm Mike Gorman, and you're listening to the Celtics Pod podcast for Celtics Blog. Here's your host, Adam Taylor.
1: Lots has happened in the last few days. We're back with Mr. Tim Shields and the newly appointed joint co-host, Mr. Wayne Breezy. Wayne, man, it's, it's great to have you all official.
0: Man, it it feels good to be official, man. And it feels good to be back with you guys, man. Sorry I missed the other show, man, but it was great. Had a graduation, and it's good to be back today.
1: And some stuff's been dropped, man. I mean, we didn't get a reaction episode out at the time just because I was away doing family stuff, and it was a Friday afternoon, so there was beer involved. If anybody follows my Twitter, then beer was definitely a bad choice. Yesterday morning, I was regretting that quite badly. (laughs) But the one thing we did see was the eight-game schedules got dropped. Most importantly for us, Boston's eight-game schedules got dropped. So just to... I mean, how do you guys feel looking at it at the moment?
0: So what was funny to me, though, before the schedules were dropped, it was... um... I don't know if I was, I was seeing a bunch of posts about, you know, Adam Adam Silver may cancel the season if corona gets worse, and this is that, in the third, and here I go, I'll post the stuff to you guys, yo, there might not be a season, guys, we might not have basketball, and then bomb drops, boom, here comes the schedule, I'm like, well, <laughs> there goes that, so, um, I think at first, when I first saw the schedule, I saw you guys, you know, in your predictions, and I'm like, okay, okay, I can see where we're going here, so, Eight games, man. Eight games. Let's talk about these eight games, man. Let's talk about them.
1: So if you haven't seen the schedule already, uh, mainly because you've decided to have a few days off social media, it would be the only way that's happened. It starts off at Milwaukee on Friday, July 31st. August 2nd, it's Portland. Tuesday, which is August 4th, it's Miami. August 5th, is Brooklyn. August 7th, it's Toronto. August 9th, it's Orlando. August 11th, it's Memphis. And August 13th, it's Washington. Personally, I think the only two games that are potential losses, and I do asterisk, asterisk those potentials, especially the first one, is Milwaukee on the opening game of this eight-game eight stretch, and then possibly Toronto, simply because of how well coached Toronto are. You can't count them out. If Pascal Siakam's on his game, if OG's on his game, and Carl Lowry's on his game, then it's going to be difficult. Marcus gives them an added advantage in being able to stretch the floor with a big man. If Daniel Tyson isn't on the floor, Boston really don't have the interior protection that can kind of step out to the perimeter and not get smoked in a pick and roll. How do you guys feel? What are your predictions for this?
2: I feel at the very lowest, you should be looking at five and three for these eight games. I think realistically, from an optimistic standpoint, I see six and two. That is what I think realistically, just because. We're looking at them coming back into it, seeing what speed of play we're going to be having with these guys, seeing where they're at health-wise too, and just seeing how some other sports have come back so far and just seeing that physicality kind of lacking, not that same speed or players getting used to that kind of speed. So that being said, coming out and having to face the Bucks right out the gate is going to be tough. The Blazers should not be slept on, but they are one of those teams that's looking outside looking in at the playoff situation. But other than that, yeah, I think the two, I don't want to pencil them in as losses, but two teams that they very well could lose to, and it wouldn't surprise me, would be the Bucs and the Raptors. So I think from a Celtics perspective, at the very least, you want to try and beat Toronto. If you lose to Milwaukee, okay, just kicking off the rust. But, you know, you've got to take at least five or six of these games just to try and see if you can sneak up to that two spot
0: yeah i agree with tim man um the i actually think they come out guns blazing uh against against the bucks i think they were ready to play the bucks um they're picking up where they left off in the regular season and they have the bucks that was who they were going to have up next um here's the cool thing about this though um, and for both teams, they're going to have to shake off a little bit of rust, correct? Like both teams are going to have to have some, some rust scraped off. But here's the thing that I love about the Celtics, you know, and, and I'm, I'm going to be as optimistic as I can. I know this is this is my team and I'm, I'm a homer, but uh, they're healthy. Uh, and, and I think going into the Bucs uh, prior to COVID, they weren't as healthy. So um, I, I think we match up really well. I know the Bucks like that. I, I call the Bucks have that Spider-Man offense. You know, they, the, the, the body is Giannis and the legs are all the other players. However many legs the spider has. I want to say eight because they're Arachnids. I think that's what I learned in school. And then they just got all these players that could do different things. You know what I'm saying? That's how they play. But I've seen the Celtics defense like apprehend that. Like I've seen them, you know, hold that down. I mean, if you go back to game one, from last year in the in the playoffs when they got to that second round, they literally made Giannis do everything and he couldn't. Um and they took away the, the arms. So let the body do it and take away the arms, and it's almost impossible to beat the Celtics. And that was with a different, you know, guy, you know, leading the helm and the young guys coming to their own. But back to the schedule. You know what? I I, I have us at six and two but you're going to be upset because I have us winning against Milwaukee. I even have us winning against Toronto. I have us losing against the two teams. We shouldn't even be losing to like Orlando, right? And possibly Brooklyn. Like I, and I, and, and I know it sucks, but man, they play us tough. They Orlando and Brooklyn are young. Do I, what's the guy? And I don't, I don't really know too many players from other teams. I just know that this guy LeVert dropped like ninety-five thousand points on us the last time he played us, right?
2: Like and fifty-one in the
0: fourth. It, okay, I didn't want to know that, but yes, that was ridiculous, yo. It was like, it was like Boston is either going to win, win fashionably. Or they just they, they, they figure out a way how to lose. And and I don't I don't think they're gonna have that problem with the, the, the better teams and um on this eight game uh, tournament or whatnot, the um, eight game season. I just think it's those scrappy teams, you know, the teams that are fighting for a spot that are saying, Oh, I, I could beat the best. I and, and they're gonna come out and, and try to punch us in the mouth, gut. So I, I have those two games circled, but optimistically like Tim says, man, um, six and two, worst five and three. That's pretty cool. Like I think five and three would be the worst I could see this Celtics team going, especially with the health that they have going into this says uh, season. Um, but six and two, I think is what they're aiming for. Anything else above that is just, it's just like perfection. Like they're just that means they're into If you, if I tell you what, if the league lets the Celtics not let, but if the, if the Celtics win eight straight, man. It's it's it, Y'all better watch out.
1: Yeah. yeah, I can see what you're saying as well, because it's a pretty Boston thing to do, is go and lose against the two teams you're meant to beat. That's kind of been how January especially was very much like that. Every game they were meant to win, they lost, and every game you thought they'd struggle with, they won. It is frustrating. Orlando are a weird team. I mean, I don't worry about them too much. I can see Brooklyn, Dinwiddie can always get buckets. Jarrett Allen gave the Celtics problems a few times. He's just a big buddy can really space the floor vertically, especially downhill. And then Karis LeVert can just get buckets. The question really is then, if you think, okay, so are none of us worried about Portland? I mean, Dame Lillard, the Celtics always struggle with driving guards. They struggle with guards that can beat you on dribble driving possessions. And then you start adding into the fact that Dame Lillard can literally throw it up from like 30 feet out and just hit every time. So you've got to then... Play him closer. Portland are always a tough team. I'm a big fan of Portland, though, so I may be a little bit um, less, a little bit less biased towards Boston than what I usually am, just because I like the way Damon CJ play. Hassan Whiteside again. Do we feel like the Celtics are going to have enough interior body to deal with somebody who's so physical on the glass? The only, the only plus is Robert Williams will be back, and I'm going to expect to see quite a bit of Robert Williams' minutes once we're faced with bigger, stronger bodies down low. I do think that not only
2: did this long rest kind of help a guy like Rob Williams, but also everyone else is kind of be taking it easy as they get back into play too. So I think that's actually going to play to his advantage. In terms of Portland, I definitely don't underestimate them. But I also kind of wonder where they're at emotionally. And that goes for a lot of players. Right now, everything that's going on outside of just the league play and everything with COVID, too, has a lot of teams and players speaking out and giving opinions and trying to figure out the best way to navigate everything. You still have players who are withdrawing from play. And with Portland's situation, I know that they were the one franchise that voted against the comeback based on the format alone. So I don't know if they're a little bit jaded trying to make the playoffs, if that's something that's on their mind too. They're a team that definitely has a chip on their shoulder though, so that's the one thing I will say about Portland, especially with Dame Lillard. I feel like Dame overall across the league doesn't get as much respect as he should, but they're definitely not a team I would sleep on. They're they're a team I could see sneaking in and taking a win away from Boston, especially because from their perspective – outside looking in as a playoff team, trying to get that last spot, they're going to be trying to claw back into a good position for that. So I could see them coming in guns blazing as well. Yeah,
1: that's the biggest point for me as well, sorry to cut you, is the fact that this team, talking about Portland, they're a Western Conference Finals team last season. They're now trying to fight to get back into the playoffs because they believe they can get themselves back to the finals, maybe even go further, especially now they don't really have that roadblock in Golden State they've got a reason to come out guns blazing in every game because they need to try and overtake Memphis. And we'll get to Memphis a little bit later because that's imperative for Celtics as well. If you're a Celtics fan, you're going to be watching Grizzlies games like a hawk. So for me, Portland's a very big banana skin for whoever they play. Anybody could slip up against them because they're coming into this eight-game tournament knowing that they need to put as many Ws on the board as physically possible to try and avoid a playing tournament.
0: Yeah, I agree, man. I, I don't... I never, I, never, I don't underestimate any of the teams. Uh, Portland is one of those teams where it's just like man they got they got two guys that can light you up. I just I just like the Celtics whenever they play a west team they just seem to have it pretty much figured out. Like it's like the, it's like when they play a west team it's it's like the championship game 7 for the Celtics. It doesn't matter who the west team is. It's just that's the mindset they bring adam and tim so i i just think that they figure out how to win those games i'm not saying that they're undefeated against west teams i just feel like they bring it each and every time like it's a game seven of the nba finals so and and it could possibly be um a nba final matchup when you watch um when they play that game um in the season so uh i don't underestimate portland and they do got some big shot that that dame and and actually I think Dame is more controllable. You just don't want him taking the shot at the end of the game. It's McCollum who you gotta stop. It's, it's that's the guy you gotta, you know, ice out and and try to get Hassan Whiteside, you know, not to get all them all the boards. You know, like we gotta we gotta get some offensive rebounds. So like this is when I want to see a guy like Kanner be in the game. Where I'm not saying he's more dominant or more physical than um, Whiteside. I'm just saying he knows how to tap in some, some balls that don't go into the cylinder. He knows how to get those putbacks and, and things like that. And you may see stuff like that. So no, I don't underestimate them like you guys. Um they can easily not easily, but they can they definitely have a shot at beating the Celtics uh on their on our schedule. I just feel like when it comes to the Western teams, the Celtics just they just they just play with a different ante. They just they just play different.
2: If you look at how they played against not only the Clippers but the Lakers, both home and away and then also how they managed to play against team like Houston. I was actually at, I was at the Nuggets game, I was at the Clippers game, and I was at that Houston game where they forced overtime. So I was at all those games in Boston, and I have to agree with Wayne. They just – for going against a tougher conference, and I will say this without question, the Western Conference is tougher. Even if you have, you know, Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving in Brooklyn now – there is still that power shift for the West. The West right now is just really solid one through eight. They've got a lot of teams squabbling for that eighth seed, but even then, even some of those teams that are outside looking in, I, I still wouldn't want to face those guys right off the bat, especially in this situation. If I had to go into a long layover and then returning back to play, you got eight games to go, and then you got to face this team that you're seeing in the first round. I wouldn't be trying to face Portland in the first round. They're a tough team. If, man, if they manage to sneak in on this, they're going to give whoever ends up getting them a whole lot of trouble. So that being said, though, I still think the Celtics do have a really good upper hand in a lot of these Western Conference teams. I, I agree with what Wayne said in that regard.
1: How are you guys feeling about Miami. I mean, Bam Adebayo and Jimmy Butler and no joke. They've put Gore and Dragic Dragic coming off the bench, and that's been a huge revelation for their bench unit as well. Having somebody as experienced and crafty is probably the best way to look at him, coming off the bench and operating as that sixth man. He's really transformed the way that team looks on paper. Are you guys worried about coming up against them?
2: I mean, to a degree, because Miami – is a team that's also jockeying for seeding. They're right behind you. They're trying to get up for a better matchup in the first round. So that being said, they made all these acquisitions, and we've yet to see them really kind of coalesce and seeing how all those pieces fit together. You see it in spurts, but I still am very interested to see how they make all that depth work. Because out of all the teams at the deadline, they were probably, in terms of the playoff teams, they're the probably the team that made the most moves and made the most restructuring of their roster pretty quickly too. They got a lot of three and D guys. They got a lot of good veterans. It'll be interesting to see how they come together. I didn't know. I keep going back to layover, but let's see how many guys were shooting in the backyard. Let's see how many guys were talking and looking at their playbook and figuring out how things work. Because a team like that, especially where you had all these pieces that you just added into the equation, trying to make sure everyone's getting their touches and their minutes, that's an interesting thing to monitor. Miami's definitely not a team that I would underrate. They're not a team that I would underestimate. They definitely are capable of going into your building and blowing the doors off. So they would be one of the teams I could see being beating the Celtics, but I don't know. Miami's an interesting team. It's, it's just a matter of they can make those pieces work together.
0: I will say, you know, pre-COVID, Miami was probably like the hottest team in the East, like they, they, they were hot. And the fact that they were hot and sizzling hot and they had to go and they went on and made all these, these acquisitions or whatnot, like Tim said, it's going to be really, it's going to be really, Oh, you know, we have to see how it works. I mean, when teams look good on paper is one thing, but when they, when they have to go out and you have to manage minutes and guys got to get their shots and, and things like that, uh, let's think about how the Celtics were when they just had too many players and not enough players could get their minutes in, and it kind of hurt the Celtics. Remember that season? Like we had all, all these guys, and oh yeah, we got the best team on paper, and, and you know, but we couldn't allocate minutes properly, and guys needed a certain amount of shots. You know, even veterans, they needed to be in the game to get their juices flowing or whatnot. That's how Miami's looking at the moment. Will they give the Celtics a problem? Yeah, they're an Eastern Conference team. They're in Miami. They're in Florida. They want to win. Florida's already got this this thing on their back, whatever, whatnot. Even though we're in Orlando, uh, but you know what? I just, I just think that the Celtics. You know, when when playing the Celtics, just this Celtics team it's just something different. It's just something different about this team, the the youth. It, isn't it is amazing to me how quickly the youth have transitioned into like veterans that that's what it is they, They're young man. They're young 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 Even the oldest guy is young and they're transitioning into the veteranship of how to be well managed as a team And I would be scared to play a team like that and they were playing the Western Conference better than the Eastern Conference so I don't think I necessarily matter where they're seated on the Eastern side I just know that when it comes down to the nitty-gritty, they'll figure out ways. And no one, no one manages a game better than Brad when it comes to playoff basketball. I don't know what happened in the past. I don't know what happened, you know, in that Bucks series last year because it just seemed like Brad had it figured out, right? Like game one, bam, figured out. Oh, we got it. And then all of a sudden, Kyrie went commando, and we just, and then it was just, it was just a, you know, a bad show after that. And we knew it was over. Like it was, hard walk- it was hard being a Celtic fan because you knew that the team gave up the ghost. They were just like, all right, we're just going to bow out and we're going to move on to next season and whatever happens in the offseason happened. And then, look, things happened in the offseason. We got better um, as a unit and players pr- uh, progressed as well individually. And that's why I think the Celtics are a scary team to face i don't i don't really care who it is i don't care what the seed is i know we don't want to play like you know the toughest team first but i think they play better against tougher competition that's just my opinion
1: yeah and if you want to be a champion you have to be everything that's put in front of you there's no point trying to duck and dodge because you're going to come up against, if that other team's good enough you're going to come up against them later on anyway so better to play them early before they get into a swagger themselves just while we're on miami i do feel like they're a uh, that baby blue jerseys are the are the best joint in the league right now that and the, the Grizzlies
0: I, I co-sign that matter of fact my son has my oldest son has the Jordans with those colors and I almost cop a Miami Heat jersey just because they go with the Jordans but I would never cop a Miami Heat jersey I just want to make that clear on on this podcast <laughs> <laughs>
1: yeah, it's that and the Grizzlies, man the, the, the Grizzlies jersey, that joint, the Jamarant joint You know, that that jersey sold out everywhere, dude But um, the colours on that are just fire I, I've got to admit, those two jerseys are the best two colour schemes this season I mean, that was just getting us a little bit off topic But I feel like that had to go on record and be said That those two colours are fire That baby blue and, like, electric pink just kind of really works, dude
0: It does it, it just reminds me, I'm an 80s baby And it brings me back to Miami Vice that that's just that's exactly what it is. And if you if guys that don't know who Miami Vice is, if you play if you play uh video games, if you play Vice City or whatnot. That it's that it's it's that that's what it's all about, yo. So it br- it brought me back to those times.
1: Yo, Vice City man, that was a game. That was dude.
0: That was a game, bro. Like that 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 was a game. I know San Andreas is king, but the Vice City joint was dope. <laughs>
1: Yeah, I got I our Cup San Andreas on a, a download for the PlayStation the other day. Even though the graphics aren't as good, I had to jump on that. So, jumping back to basketball, we're just running through these teams at the moment, seeing how we feel about each of them. If anybody's kind of wondering where we're going, Toronto, I, I like Toronto. I feel like they've been one of the feel good stories this year. They lost their star guy, managed to hold it down throughout the season. I've got them marked as a potential loss for Boston just because of how tough they play Boston. Understood. But at the same time, this, is, this isn't this is Boston from January or February where there was injuries. Kemba's knees are hopefully healed. Gordon Haywood's had a couple of months off for his ankle to start feeling strong again because, you know, he was getting pain after those games, those pins and needles. Rob Williams coming back ready to jump out the roof again. But I do feel like that Toronto are one of those teams that will just scheme you out of the, off the court at certain points. And when you look at their personnel and their defensive upside, they're going to be one of the teams that will be really good to kind of test the barometer of where the Celtics are now to where they need to be once playoff basketball pres- resumes. I don't know how worried I am, but I do feel like that is a possibility that, that the Celtics walk away with an Al in that game. It's also a later game. It starts at 9 p.m. Eastern. So I'll be waking up to some very happy or unhappy tweets directed my way.
2: I want to see how these teams play away from home, because that is one underrated aspect that I don't think a lot of people think about when we're looking at this schedule. Especially, I don't know how they're going to handle the fan noise. They talked about pumping in like 2K crowd noise. I don't know if that's going to happen. There's still a lot of time for that to be decided upon, but if they're just playing in an open gym and all you can hear is players and coaches, it's going to be really interesting to see what happens with team energy because a lot of it's going to be players jacking up other players, you know, teammates, you know, rooting on their guys, getting excited when somebody makes a play, a lot of communication there. So without those distractions, without that, that fan energy feeding into the team energy, I want to see how a lot of teams who, especially teams who might struggle on the road handle this kind of situation
1: but, but i do feel toronto said, could be one of those teams that could suffer
2: i think toronto and philly are the big teams that could suffer from that i am really not sure without i'm not going to go off the cuff and talk about away records because i don't know what those are off the top of my head but i i think that a lot of teams or at least a lot of fans are underestimating how those teams are affected by the fan support I think it's one of the more underrated parts of, you know, trying to go into an opponent's building and winning a game on the road is that entire element of home and away advantage is just completely washed out of the equation. Right now it's just a matter of getting a more favorable matchup when you're looking at the playoffs. So seeding doesn't matter as much now because there isn't – we're not going to Milwaukee. We're not going to Toronto. We're all stuck playing in a bubble in Orlando, and you have to make the most of it. So whatever path gets you the the best matchups and helps you avoid Milwaukee is going to be your best situation. But I don't know how this affects teams' play. Uh,
0: it, it it's going to affect teams' play. I, I need to. I'm, I was trying to check. I thought you going to keep talking. I was going to try to check the Celtics' away record because I believe they played. They had a. a, a I think they had a winning away record, if I'm not mistaken. Like I think they played better on the road. Um. So that would that would help them.
2: I do have their records up if you want me to check it right now.
0: Yeah, if you don't mind, go ahead and, and putting that up. Yeah.
2: So in terms of home and away record, uh, Boston is twenty three and nine at home, twenty and twelve away. Mm-hmm. Raptors have the same home and away record, so that's a complete wash for them. Okay. Uh, Milwaukee is much better at home than they are away. They're twenty eight and three versus twenty five and nine. And for example, a team like Miami. Miami's twenty-seven and five at home. They're fourteen and nineteen on the road.
0: Yeah. So I don't yeah. know how it affects that. And the, the scary part about this is this is all on the road. This might not be as much on the road for Miami because they're still in Florida, but I mean it's still it's still on the road, right? They're not in they're not in Miami. They're gonna be in Orlando. So we will have to see how this factors in. I wanted to touch on what you guys were saying about Toronto. Look, I'm I don't have us losing to Toronto, guys. I just don't, and I don't have it as a cakewalk game either. This will be one of those, (laughs) those, you know, fights back and forth, you know, who's going to come down to the ball, you know, ball, last ball type thing. It's not going to be a cakewalk for either team. I just think that the Celtics will find a way to pull that game out. Like there's, it's those games that they definitely want to win. And just going back to my earlier argument it's the games that they should win that they sh- that should be almost like cakewalks they just they just find a way to lose i l- I like the matchup against Toronto even though the Celtics are considered the away team it just I just think that they're going to fare up and play well I the reason you talked about Philly and Toronto I think Toronto would be the better team just due to coaching and more of that team has been together you know what I mean like the only piece they kind of lost the only piece they lost was Kawhi whereas Philly added like 95 different pieces to their squad and they're still trying to figure out ways to gel and they just added a new piece right guys and then and then it's like are they going I mean I know they beat what they beat the Celtics twice this year we get it and last year they could barely beat us or whatnot I think that Toronto definitely serves the The bigger fear for the Celtics when it comes, or the tougher matchup for the Celtics or whatnot. But again, like Adam says it depends on who you playing on what day So you just got to show up and do your thing So any one of these opponents on on this schedule can be a tough matchup for the Celtics the Celtics just have to do what they do best execute and 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 continue to you know strive to to win and they'll be fine Because I want to get to this next game. Oh, well We could skip past Orlando, but I want to get to this next game on the thing because I want you guys to break this Memphis joint down to me.
1: Just before we do that, I just want to go on record and say that Philly are twenty nine and two at home, and then they're ten. They've lost one ten and lost twenty four on the road. They're a really, really poor road team. They really feed off crowd energy. Embiid especially has been noted. I don't have the article in front of me, but somebody actually put down an article on how bad Embiid is when he's playing in front of away fans so I'm interested to see how well Embiid plays when he's playing in front of no fans because he's very much a guy that plays off energy he plays he absorbs his teammates energy his fans energy and really starts to go from there the only other thing with Embiid is he's super emotional so if he feels like there's nobody everybody at home's watching he might really up his game that way but you want to get onto Memphis I want to get onto Memphis Tim wants to get onto Memphis. Before we do, we're going to leave you with some suspense and we're going to head off to the break real quick. Yo, so Memphis, man, I mean... This is the team all Celtics fans are going to have their eyes on, right? We own their pick. If they make the playoffs, they're projected that pick's projected to fall to seventeen. If they miss the playoffs, then we're talking about a tail end of the lottery draft pick, which really bumps up the talent level that's available. I'm not scared of playing them too much. I mean, Triple J, John Morant, they're both they're, they're going to be stars in this league in another year or two. I feel like they're a few years behind where the Celtics are now, but you can see some big similarities in the way they're constructing their roster. It's different in terms of personnel, like play type and player ability, but they've got two really young guys that are going to have a really long career in the league and most likely will play together for a long time. Triple J's really improved on his dribble handoffs. He's really improved on his... I mean, that dude for a big can just attack off the dribble, dude. And then Jar can just do everything. So those two together are frightening but are they capable of holding down now over this next eight games to, to make the playoffs? Do you feel like, or do you feel like Portland have been there? They're more seasoned and they're going to be able to navigate these eight games easier.
0: I definitely like this Memphis young squad. I really do. I, John Morant definitely he's going to be a superstar in the league. Jaron Jackson Jr. Man, I, I wish somehow, some way he could have been a Celtic, but Oh, well, it was never going to happen. And then, and they got, they got a pretty, you know, pretty decent, you know, bench they got justin winslow valentine grayson allen brandon clark some guys but here's the thing like what if it comes down to our game <laughs> and you want to talk about the pressure that the celtics will have if it came down to our game of knocking them out of the playoffs or whatnot? for us to get that, that could be a, that that game being televised on TN, that'll be a TNT game, that's a Tuesday game, right, or does ESPN get the Tuesday games? I can't remember, but either way that game is going to be huge to watch, you know, the young rising stars of the Celtics versus the young rising stars of the Grizzlies and it's going to be a a, a, a heavyweight fight depending on, you know oh, it's going to be on TNT, I was right it's going to be a heavyweight fight and I can't wait to see it and that could and all I'm saying is it could be that one game the Celtics win and Knocks them out of contention the Celtics end up with a not only do they end up with higher seeding and the playoffs they end up with that lottery pick you guys were just talking about so if The if the Grizzlies do go on some type of crazy win streak and somehow find their way in the playoffs It hurts the Celtics, right? So what do you guys think? What if it comes down to that last game? Do you? Do we ball all the way out? Do we rest, guys? Like, what's going on?
1: Yo, so if it comes down to that last game, that I feel like part of it depends on where the Celtics are in terms of seeding themselves. Have they, Are they a game away from being able to pull the two seed, or is that out of reach at this point in their third no matter what? But then you have your eye on the future. You own their draft pick. It's more beneficial as a Celtics player, as a Celtics fan, front office, everybody, that Memphis don't make the playoffs. Nobody was expecting Memphis to be this good when the pick was originally traded. They've kind of really navigated the draft and free agency really well, but their schedule is not easy. Their first game is against Portland, the team that's one game that's one seed behind them. They're going to play San Antonio. San Antonio, they're you know they're without is it Lamarcus Aldridge? They've not got LaMarcus, yes. So they're going in without one of their biggest name guys. That's a potential win for Memphis. Then they go up against Zion and the New Orleans Pelicans. Then they go up against Rudy Gobert and Donovan Mitchell with Utah. Then it's down to SGA and CP3 in the Thunder. Then Toronto, Boston and Milwaukee. That's a tough schedule. That's a tough, tough schedule. I can see them falling down. I can see them falling out of the playoff contention in this system. Or I can see it going to a playing tournament and I'm, Kind of confident that Portland will be able to come out on that. Did you know Jars in his first season? Triple J is still young. He's only a couple of years in the league. Do they really have the know-it-all, the, like the the experience to be able to navigate this small system, this small season now? And then, if they do make it through, and it's a playing tournament, do they have what it takes to play in and win against Portland when there's a playoff get, playoff berth on the line? Are they ready at this point or is it coming too soon? I hope it's coming too soon because I want that draft pick. You fall in the top 10, you know, 10, 11, 12. There's some real ballers available there that are projected to be dominant rotational pieces. There's not going to be a star. This draft that doesn't have stars, but, you know, short of Lamelo and possibly Killian Hayes and maybe James Wiseman, I digress. But there's still plenty of depth available at 10 to 14 that if they don't make the playoffs, that's where the pick would probably fall, if, if not higher. Yo, give, let, let them lose, man. Do also <laughs> Let them lose. <laughs> I think there's a really
2: good chance that they walk away with six losses from their schedule. As you said, Adam, they're facing a lot of tough teams, and their, their two last games are against one of the teams they need them to lose in order to get their draft pick, and the other one is the best team in the league in the Bucs. So, and you can debate that all you want, but Milwaukee is just continuing and building upon the success they had last year. I just, they're a force, but that aside, you know, they're going against the Thunder who have turned out to be a surprise team. And then you've got the Raptors. And as you said, the Spurs, even if they don't have LaMarcus Aldridge, it's still the Spurs still have to give them their due. And then you've got them going against the trailblazers who were also, as you said, fighting for seating. So I don't see them winning more than three games out of those eight. And I really am interested to see those teams around them and how they react and try and, you know, you have to focus as a player on what's in front of you. You have to beat the team in front of you. But in this situation where you're looking at potentially having to play that turn, that uh, playing game, and you're looking left and right, and you're seeing all these other teams who are also jockeying for seeding, it'll be interesting to see how players react. And, as you said, Adam, for a younger roster, a younger team who did not expect to be in a position to play in for the playoffs, to have a chance to make the NBA playoffs, it will be very interesting to see how they react. I, I don't mean, know if they're ready for it. But
1: Another interesting caveat we have to look at is, we're saying Portland's the team that if, if any team's going to knock them off that Ape seed, it's going to be Portland, right? I think we we're agreed on that. Portland's schedule's probably worse than Memphis did. They open up against Memphis, then they've got Boston, Houston, Denver, Clippers, Sixers, Mavericks, and then Brooklyn. That is a rough, rough schedule. They might not even get to a point where there's a playing tournament with that schedule. I'm hoping we need superstar Dame Lillard. We need half-court Dame Lillard game-winning shot every night for eight games for Boston to pick up that draft pick.
0: Yeah, I, I'm just, I'm just, I'm, I'm looking at the Grizzly schedule and it, it does look pretty, it, it looks pretty tough. I'm just looking at it from the Trailblazers to the to the Spurs, the Pelicans, the Jazz, the Thunder. You mentioned, and then the last three. The last three. The last three. The Raptors, the Celtics, and the Bucks. I, I and and I know this isn't the Grizzlies show. This is the Celtics show. But because the Grizzlies are, you know, we own that pick. We want them to lose. But here's the thing. Like, I'm just looking to see. Like, I think. Tim said he hasn't winning three games. I don't, I'm trying to figure out what the what the three the what the the, the Jazz, the Spurs, and maybe the Pelicans. <laughs> yeah, if
1: Derek Favors plays for the Pelicans, then I don't think that Memphis can beat them. Once Favors is on the court for New Orleans, their defense goes through the roof, dude.
0: See, it 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 is going to be tough. But lo and behold, as a Celtics fan. Number one, like you said, Adam, we just need to take care of what we need to take care of, right? We need to get our seating, secure our spot, and and be happy-go-lucky. That way, if the Grizzlies aren't on par of of whatever, you know, or whatnot, come that that game when we play them, the second to last game of of the eight-game season, you know, we can get some guys rest, we can give some guys some minutes, and we can go ahead and get ready to get, you know, get this tournament started right. You know what I'm saying? So, like... I'm, we we want them to lose. We want the Grizzlies to lose. We want the Celtics to win. That's how it is on this show. We definitely want that lottery pick because I can't wait till we start digging into who we possibly can get. Now, that's gonna be weird for me. Now, you guys might be all cool with the college system and all that stuff, but I haven't seen a, a tournament, so I don't know what. All I know I can name I can name five players from playing NBA 2K20 and getting those next packs. <laughs> So I can name five guys that I think are going to be legit good. And LaMelo Ball is one of them. So that's it. That's where I draw the line, but I'm going to, you know, I'll do my research and figure out, you know, who we might be able to get if we end up with their lottery pick.
1: Yeah. And it changes depending on whether they're in or out. I mean, we've done some draft dives on this podcast recently. We've done quite a few. Everything we've done was based around the fact that Boston pick at 17. This could change that drastically. And then, We have to redo draft episodes, which I'm not complaining about. Man, these schedules. I mean, this is the great thing about the league right now, right? Because there's so many dynamic duos across the league and there's so much parity that you look at a schedule and you're like, oh, that's tough. That game's tough. That game's tough. That's good. That's good for the league. A few years ago, we were looking at this and like, oh, that game's a wash. That game's a wash. Oh, Golden State, oh, you're not winning against them. That's a wash. Now we look at it, we're like, Houston, tough. Denver, tough. Clippers, tough. Philly tough, Dallas tough. Every game's tough, and it makes it it makes it so much more fun. And it's gonna make us more invested in two teams for these next eight games. So instead of watching eight games, a lot of Celtics fans are gonna be watching sixteen because you want to see how Memphis do. You want to see whether we can snag that pick. Now this was two K, and I was did playing my GM on two K. I'm trying to flip, flip the <laughs> flip the pick back to get Jarma rent. Obviously, that's not happening. But it's a tough. It's a tough schedule for everybody. I feel like Boston's actually got quite a reasonable schedule. Looking at some of the other teams, I'm I'm confident for Boston right
0: now. Very tough. Um, looking at these teams, and I I haven't really paid attention to many of the other teams' schedules until until recently. I was only really focusing on ours and seeing how realistic our schedule exceeding could be at the end of the schedule. Like up oh, this games, we could win this game. This game. And you know, this game might give us a little trouble. Uh, this game six six and two, you know, that's all I've been focusing on. Like six and two, six and two, five and three, possibly. Um, worst case scenario, best case scenario is eight and oh, right? But the realistic one was six and two, which we discussed earlier. But now that we're going and we're looking at some of the teams that we're playing against and checking out their schedules, and then when we brought up this, I've never thought about factoring in like the inevitable stuff, like. How well does Philly play on the road? How well does the Toronto play on the road? Then we found out today that Toronto and the Celtics have the same road schedule, so it'll be a bit of a wash. But just like listening to some of these other guys' schedules and how well they play, I'm starting to think that the Celtics—they kind of lucked up a little bit, right? With the like, they, they kind of got a little bit of lucky. They just have to go out and execute. Each and every game day, like that's it. They just have to show up, show out. I'm telling you guys, and I'm not saying this because I'm over exuberant about our team, which I very much so am. I just really think they're going to be hard to beat if they come out full steam ahead. I know you can say that about every team, but the talent level on the Celtics is 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 almost through the roof, and the and the scary part is that they're young and they're still learning. And it's going to be crazy. It's going to be crazy. I can't wait. I'm so excited. I can't wait.
1: I find it funny. None of us even took the last game against Washington as anything of importance. We, we, we just all just completely ignored Washington. Like, that's not even, we don't even need to worry about Washington.
0: We do have to worry about Bradley Bill dropping 51 points or, or but something. But if,
1: if it's only Bradley Bill, and it's going to be like 105 to 51.
0: Right. <laughs> <laughs> right, because there's no Bartons, right? There's no, there's no John Wall. Like they, they just, yeah. John Wall might
1: play. That's
2: what I was hearing, but I don't know if that's changed. Even if at he all.
1: does, dude, he hasn't played in like nearly. Two yeah, it's like, like John Wall do? at
2: like sixty percent.
0: Yeah, and be, that's
1: still better than most of the league.
0: That, that would be ridiculous on his part to play in an eight-game thing where your team, his team's not even in the playoffs, right? They're not even in the tournament. Right. So, like, why, why would he? I, I don't know. I, I, I would think that would be ridiculous. Finish out the season, rest up. And I'm not saying that because I'm scared to play a John Wall. Like, no, I'm just saying I, I, basketball is fun when John Wall plays for the Wizards. Right. I, I'm I'm a competition guy. I like competition. Right, I like to see our best against the other team's best. That way they leave it all out on the court and no one is saying, "Well, we didn't have this guy and you beat us when this guy I I, I hate that. But that's how stuff pans out. There's nothing you could do about that. Injuries happen. It's a, it's a physical sport. But my point is, if John Wall like why why play when you didn't play all season and then you possibly have a chance of re-injuring something and then you'd never come back. I want John Wall back at at you know at his 90% best opposed to 80% just to play in something that probably doesn't matter to him. And I'm not a fan. I'm just saying.
2: I definitely don't think John Wall would come back. He's one of those guys that has nothing to gain from playing and everything to lose. It's the same thing with Bertons. Bertons doesn't want to mess up a potential paycheck, biggest paycheck he's going to get probably for the rest of his career just based on where he's at, his age, you know, just all those qualifiers that say – to a player, hey, I probably shouldn't go through and play with this. You know, I sat out for a little bit of time trying to recover from this injury. Now we're coming back after stopping play for three and a half months, four months by the time we actually probably get started. No, it just doesn't make sense, especially for the Wizards, because the big reason why they're trying to hold on to Bertans is so they can actually put together something with Wall, Beal, and Bertans and keep that situation going, because you can't move on from John Wall and his contract despite all the injuries that he's had. And you've got Bradley Beal who you got to try and make happy because he could potentially be vultured away from a team with assets trying to add another piece to a core. So that being said, with the Wizards, I think it's an exercise in futility. We've discussed it before in other podcasts talking about how not really sure why they're in the running versus other teams who are just below them, such as Charlotte. But with the Wizards' situation, I, I don't really think they're expecting much. But
1: who knows? Yeah, so the Wizards are five and a half games behind Orlando. They only need to finish the eight-game tournament, four games behind to trigger that playing tournament between them and Orlando. So if John Wall is thinking of coming back, it means he feels like his presence can help them pull to that four-game, that trigger, so they play that playing tournament. And then it becomes who's going to, can they beat Orlando two times in a row? If they feel like they can, and John Wall feels like his legs can hold up, then that's a reason for him to play. Then he gets to kind of come back onto the stage in the playoffs, in the Disney World bubble. He might want to be thinking like, yo, I want to be in Disney World at these nice resorts. But, I mean, I haven't even looked at the Wizards' schedule. Let's have a look what the Wizards have got going on.
0: Yeah, that, I, I didn't even think to look at their schedule.
1: Because they were so irrelevant, that's why.
0: And that's the point, like, that that's exactly why. So
1: like, they've got the Suns. The Nets, the Pacers, the Sixers, the Pelicans, the Funder, the Bucks, the Celtics—they ain't going nowhere, dude.
0: I'm gonna look at the Nets schedule because it's that's tough, a, man. I mean, that's a thorn in our behind team. That that that. that,
1: that. Yeah, Everybody I know. mean, next season is gonna be the one where they're really a problem. With Kyrie and KD. Yeah,
0: let's it, enjoy this now. <laughs> <laughs> you know what? And I know KD is is highly he's he's, he's highly unguardable. Um, because of his his height and you know his quickness on the first step, but I like Tatum on KD. I I am going to enjoy that matchup of Jason Tatum and his wingspan on on Kevin Durant. Like if that happens, I, how do you guys do? You guys feel like that'll be a great matchup to watch?
1: Yeah, I think that would be an awesome matchup to watch. I feel like what'd happen is they'd have Tatum guarding him off ball. And then and then try and rotate Brown onto him once he's on ball because Brown's a better on ball defender. Tatum's a better off ball defender. So you, you rotate those two guys onto him. And that's the beauty of the Celtic system, dude. You can just switch these guys on. And I feel like those two guys could probably give KD some serious headaches. You've got Tatum denying the passing lanes, making sure KD's not finding his spots. And then if you do manage to get the ball in his hands, boom, you've got Jalen Brown in front of you with that, that length and strength. He going all in on you, dude.
0: I wish they could see my face right now. That sounds so pretty. Oh my goodness! <laughs>
1: For anyone well, listening, Wayne's got a green screen on, but he's wearing green, so he's just a floating head right now. He
0: didn't have to tell my secret, man. I wanted to look like the dude from Wizard of Oz, man. Like, want the, the well, Oz? <laughs> <I wanted> to... <laughs> it's a spiritual experience. That's if we're, we're going
1: in '90s, you would have been like Zordon from the Power Rangers, dude. Just a <laughs> <laughs>
0: Yes, 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 so I'm looking at this net schedule and their schedule is pretty it's it's pretty you know They got they got the Magic the Wizards Then they got Bucks Celtics then they got the Kings Kings is another team that 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 like that, that are feisty You know they got a bunch of quick guards and or whatnot. Uh, they got the Clippers the Magic again, and then they end with the Trailblazers I think they have a better chance in their schedule than the Wizards have with their schedule. What do you think?
1: The net, yeah, the net schedule nice. seems quite simple for me. I'm not too worried about them though. I mean, they're gonna they're gonna make the playoffs. They're probably gonna be a first round exit, if not first, then they'll go out in a the second. Their timeline's next year, and they know that. Okay, you know what I'm saying. Everybody knows that you worry about Brooklyn next year. You don't worry about Brooklyn this year. Brooklyn aren't going to be. Hugely problematic this year. It's next season when you're guarding DeAndre Jordan probably off the bench. I prefer Jarrett Allen starting because Jarrett Allen's at the beginning of his career and he's shown real good potential to be a long-term piece for them over DeAndre Jordan that's towards the end of his career that can come off the bench and get you buckets and boards. But then you've got KD, you've got Kyrie, Karius LeVert. I mean, there's been talk of those guys are going to be looking to pair a third star so will Dinwiddie still be there who'd you who'd you flip then do you flip do you flip Dinwiddie or do you flip Levert which one of Levert's going to get you more value back but i mean that that's for a nets podcast to worry about but what i'm saying right now is that's their problem not our problem correct but what you need to think about is this isn't their year and they know it's not their year so they're going to be competitive for competitive sake but i don't think they're going to be going out there risking too many injuries diving for loose balls because their timeline for a championship starts next season
0: so let me ask this hypothetical question because some even some celtics fans feel like we're a piece away you know from from winning the next championship or from winning or from being whatever do you guys feel like this is the celtics year or do they need another year you know under their belt same coaching same players of course they got to get rid of some players free agency all that good stuff or whatnot are they one piece away? like Because that—that's a—I feel like that's a legit question a lot of people bring up all the time. Oh, they're missing this guy. They don't have a big... They don't have a, a guy that score off the bench. What do you guys think about that?
1: I think they're a bench piece away. I don't think they're a starting piece away. I think they're starting lineups legit. I think the bench is where you're a couple of pieces away. And that could be... You could get those pieces in the draft. You could go and get a Grant Reuler and who can put bucket, buckets up off the bench. You can go and get yourself, um, you know, if Memphis don't make the playoffs, you can go get yourself Akira Lewis, the fastest guy in the draft that can start doing, start penetrating off dribble drives and really cause havoc off ball. They're a bench piece away or maybe two pieces away, but they don't have to be high-quality guys. They need to be specialist guys. You need a specialist free and D guy coming off the bench and a specialist bucket getter that you know that when there's two minutes left in the game, you can put this guy in off the bench and be like, go get us 10 and he's going to do that, or he's going to give it his best shot. I don't think they're a star away, personally. Where are you at with that, Tim?
2: Um, likewise. I don't think that there's – not only not only is there a specific kind of player that you need to fit a lot of different needs, when people talk about trying to move for another star, I don't think that they understand the financial implications of it and how difficult that is. Even, even if Hayward walks, you don't magically have another max slot. That doesn't change. Even if you keep Hayward and you extend Jason Tatum, you're looking at a massive luxury tax. So when people talk about star trading or even trying to get someone like Miles Turner, who I've talked about before, there's a lot of moving pieces and it takes two to tango for that kind of situation to happen. They're not going to sign another superstar or anything like that. That's not going to happen anytime soon. But they're much better off trying to trade a guy, trade for a guy who's gonna be under contract, who fits a specific role for your bench unit, who helps flesh out that scoring option on there, another versatile big that can help you in terms of staggering Tyson's minutes, gives you a potential coverage if Ennis Canner leaves. You need to add another big to that rotation who can help you score. Maybe that's what you look for, but it's definitely not gonna be another big swing. I think right now where they're at, granted, they don't have the bench pieces that I think they need to win. I think you can win right now in the right situation. You you need certain guys to show up and certain players to do what they were brought on to do. You need your young guys to show up and develop the way you know that they can. But if those factors are going for you, I don't think there's any reason why you can't win this year.
1: Yeah, I mean, this year it's all about health, right? You're going to buy... The whole point of this bench unit that's currently on the Celtics and the way the rotations are going to work is you can send Hayward and Jalen Brown, this is just a hypothetical, you can send those two guys to the bench early in the first and then run them out with the second unit later on and you stagger your four main players so that there's always one or two of them on there with bench guys and that's where the Celtics' strength comes because of the amount of talent they've got in that, that four horsemen sort of lineup. And that's why they're capable of winning it all this year. But if you're talking about, are they a piece away? Then yes, they're a bench piece or two bench pieces away. And those pieces need to be specialist pieces.
0: I think the cool thing I I think about that and not to answer my own question, but the thing is, what if our bench pieces, what if the guys that we have, and I agree, uh, what if they develop though? Like what if Carson Edwards develops? That's what we're hoping for, right? We're hoping he could be a great scorer off the bench He's probably not gonna be a starter in the NBA, right? Just just because of his size. But off the bench, he could come in and if he can figure out his role and light you up, like that would be cool. Uh I don't I thought Kanner had two years under contract. I could have been wrong. So I thought he had another year under this contract. So so what Tim was saying was trying to move pieces, and I think you're right, Tim. I think a lot of us, sometimes myself. I think we don't really understand the financial, the salary cap, like all the, all the things that can cause players, you know, not to be able to, you know, come together. When you see teams like Brooklyn who has an enormous amount of money because they've sucked forever and teams like the Knicks who has an enormous amount of money where they can get three stars on one team at the same time. I do remember hearing that the Celtics were willing to go over that luxury tax, but I think they're willing to do that with the players that are currently on the roster. So
1: he's got a player option.
0: Oh, so he can opt out.
1: Yeah, he can opt out. But I don't see him doing that personally. Okay. Um simply it depends if he feels like he can go and get more than the the 5 million he's going to earn in Boston then he probably will opt out, but he's happy in that situation. Oh
0: my gosh, I was about to say the same thing, Adam. I have never if you don't follow Ennis Cantor as a human being, you're doing yourself a disservice. Just just him posting his happiness makes me happy you know what i mean like him just being you know uh uh, i think he's a citizen now right so like or and his his father is doing well like just just him posting stuff about his real life events and the things that he's doing for the community in boston i think he really likes it here and remember he chose to sign the deal to be with the celtics you understand what i'm saying he probably could have went somewhere else already and made more money he chose to be here. Granted, he has a player option. Granted, he can make more money possibly from another team, but I really think he likes it in Boston, guys. I really do.
1: Yeah, I feel like he's going to be here next season. Personally, I'm working on something about Ennis Kanter at the moment, which should, fingers crossed, be out later this week. So I've I've got a bit of a spot for Ennis Kanter. I feel like he's um he's slept on a little bit. People are quick to jump on his defensive. Inabilities. Thank, thank you. But people forget how well he played for Portland last year during that playoff run. And the way he was used for them has kind of laid a blueprint on how to use him to get the best out of him. Definitely a good guy to come off the bench. I won't be mad if his third option in, in the rotation of bigs. I don't mind if you put Robert Williams ahead of Ennis Cantor, because mm-hmm. Robert Williams gives you more glass protection. He gives you more vertical spacing because of the way he can get up and down the floor quicker than Canter. I agree. Well, Cantor's got a role to play if you if you've got Embiid or Jokic or someone like that that's just a big strong body, then Cantor's your guy that you put there to slow them down. I'm not mad at that. Five million.
0: I agree. I, I agree. And he can also at he can also provide you a spark. You, you know, Cantor can go out and drop 20 plus points on you and get bored. Like he can do it. He he might not shoot midis all well, but he's just a a, a guy around that rim like he has a magnet to the ball that's what he does that's what he does better he, his footwork watch the way he plays right he he reminds me and i'm not saying defensively but re- you remember dennis Rodman's footwork just just attracting the rebound like he's not a great defensive rebound as far as canner but when it comes to the ball leaving bouncing off the i mean we want our our shot take shot takers we want their balls to go in yeah, you know, all the way like we want him to go in. but when they don't it's great having canner on the floor because you know he has a magnet to get that rebound to kind of win the tip off he gets quick positioning with his footwork he's really good and on top of that he's just a great guy man if you ever get a chance to talk to Ennis canner you will understand like he's just a great fellow to talk to great human being but i'm glad he's a celtic and you said it man you're going to talk about it in your piece uh hopefully in the upcoming week because if we get the portland Ennis canner for this playoffs, I and as your third option in bigs, oh, M G. That's that's got to be something scary. That's got to be something scary because you figure what will be our starting five? All right, so our starting five is going to be, um, uh, Kemba, uh, Brown, Hayward, Tatum, Tice.
1: Yeah, I'm going with Tice. Yeah.
0: So. If if you're bringing in Rob, you know Williams on, on on the defensive end to rotate first, and then you bring on it depends on the situation, like you said, and depends on the matchup who gets the at the two. But you might see Canner start uh, a night. You might see Rob Williams. That would be crazy. Like if they just wrote, I just, I can't I can't I can't even imagine what Brad is going to do. We do know he's the he's a he's a master planner, um, and he loves to mix stuff up. So I can't wait to see what it's going to look like with the rotation and whatnot. I know if the rotation is going to be shorter, but I think that they're all going to be a part of the rotation, all three of those bigs.
1: And just to end it on this statistic, you mentioned he's not a great defensive rebounder. Yes, sir. He's actually been damn good, dude. Um, He pulls down 26% of the team's defensive rebounds when he's on the floor. So just over a quarter. No, I mean, because everybody feels like he's not a great defensive rebounder because everybody focuses on what he does on that offensive glass, right? Mm-hmm. He's in the 93rd percentile of centers in the league for defensive rebounds. He isn't actually terrible. I mean.
0: It's just never talked about or highlighted.
1: Yeah, exactly. And this is excluding garbage time minutes as well. If you include garbage time, it's probably going to be a little bit higher. But yeah, it's never highlighted because everybody wants to point out the floors instead of the the pros you know it's always the cons when you're talking about Enes Kanter oh he's going to get put in a blender on the perimeter oh you're going to be able to you know cross him up and get to the hoop because he's got the, He's got those stiff hips right he can't turn quick enough to keep in front of his guy and, and that's all well and good but the guy pulls boards down like a boss <laughs> like an absolute boss so you live and die with these things like I said the Celtics need specialists Enes
0: Canter is a specialist oh yeah oh yeah yeah, never thought about him like that. Yep,
1: he's a rebounding specialist. You need people to clean that glass. You put in his cancer, in. if you're getting cooked on the boards, so we've got that guy on a cheap contract. We can just throw in.
0: Yeah, dang, Adam, you're right. Yeah, the they that's what it that's what it is. That's what it is. and that's why I said if each guy can just can just own their role, right, for what their strengths are, just play your strengths. I think the Celtics would be just fine because you already have stars and superstars. You have Kemba Walker, you have Gordon Hayward, you have Jason Tatum, you have Jalen Brown, you have Marcus Smart, who we don't talk about a lot on the show, who I still think he's, out, not, well, we didn't talk about a lot today. I think is the heart of this Boston Celtics team. You take Marcus Smart out of this lineup, whether he's starting or off the bench or whatnot, you take him out, it's a different Celtic team, right? Like, they're, they're gonna be tough. They're going to be tough. And you might see nights where Marcus Smart starts and Gordon Hayward comes off the bench. Depending on the matchups. Oh, like I would like, like, all right, against Milwaukee, I prefer Marcus Smart to start. I don't know why. I just feel like I'd rather have him on, on, on Bledsoe, Middleton, Combo. I like, would rather have him on those two guys trying to affect the shot. I know it's hard to affect Middleton because he's just his 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 length is tall or whatnot. He's it's almost like a, another KD shooting, even though he's not as tall as KD. He just has that arc. Um, but I would like I would like to see him against a Bledsoe, and then you know whatnot. But then you that what do we do with Kimba? So like I, I get it. It's going to be tough to, to match up, but let's I, July. It's it's coming. It's coming soon. First game up against those Bucks, I can't wait.
1: Marcus Smart's having a ridiculously good defensive year as well. His defensive rating's not that great compared to previous years. But if you look at his on-off numbers, when he's on the floor, he's holding teams to three points less per 100 possessions. That's this—that's his career high by almost double, which is crazy. But yeah, I'm bring on July, dude. We'll be back again on Tuesday. We don't know what we're talking about yet because news is coming thick and fast. but we'll be back. We'll be back. No, it'll be Wednesday. Sorry, not Tuesday. Don't listen for us Tuesday. We won't be here. Celtics Pride might do an episode on Tuesday so you can listen for those dudes. Until then, we will see you later.
0: Peace out, guys.